Welcome to Messy Conversations, episode four. This is Jason Elam. Joining me today is Todd Vick. Todd is an award-winning author, speaker, former Southern Baptist pastor. For 30 years, he struggled to be good enough for God, his family, friends, and the members of the churches that he ministered to. After years of failure, research, personal reflection, and the deconstruction of his faith, he discovered the power of the human mind in creating better life outcomes. He's the author of one of my favorite books of the last year, The Renewing of Your Mind, Asking Modern Questions to Ancient Answers. Todd, my brother, welcome back. Thank you. It's so good to be back. It's good to talk to you, my friend. How have you been? Very well. How about you? I'm doing pretty good, man. You're right. We've moved to uh, the beach since the last time you and I talked, I think. That's right. So you're, you're in Florida now, suffering yes, by the beach. Are. That's right. Suffering for Jesus down here. It's been incredible. We're going to pray for you right now. <laughs> <laughs> now, what you should do is just come down here and hang out. <laughs> that is on my list of things to do this year. I can tell you that. All right. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to that. All right. Let's just dive right into the conversation. I'm excited to talk to you about what's been going on with you since the last time we spoke on the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Uh, before we get into kind of what's happened in the between, I, a question I wished I had asked you during our last conversation, what was the most challenging part of being a pastor for you? Ooh, how long do we have? <laughs> we have all the time you need, brother. <laughs> The, the the I think the biggest struggle for me was um, putting on the mask every week um, and just pretending to be something that I wasn't, and that was that was the biggest struggle for me. Um, and I don't know. I, I guess I'm just comparing myself to pastors that I've known in the past that were really really kind and and generous. And I don't know. Maybe they were putting on the mask too. But there were times when I just didn't feel it, you know, and um, was not happy where I was and people didn't like me and, and I had to be nice to him anyway. And it was just, uh, kind of disassociating from the, from the feelings, uh, and putting on the mask and just, you know, pretending to be what they, what they want me to be. And that was really hard. What made you feel like you had to wear that mask? Um, just, the, you know, just the expectations of congregations and, and pastors, uh, most, most of the churches that I've experienced now that, and, and to be fair, the first two churches I was with, they were wonderful, uh, nothing but good memories, um, and a lot of learning too. But, you know, beyond that, it was just, um, you know, they gave me like a year and this was kind of unwritten, but it's like, you've got a year to turn this church around or we're going to have to look for somebody else. And of course they didn't say that on the interviews, but you know, once I got started, I realized that they're kind of counting on me to do something that I'm not capable of doing by myself, which is turning you know, turning the ship around. Um, and most of the churches were, you know, kind of steeped in tradition and family. And there was just roadblock after roadblock. Uh, you know, when I try to introduce new programs or new ways of doing things or new sermon series, um, actually had somebody say that I, I teach too much. And I thought, wow, <laughs> I've never been accused of being too much of a teacher. I, uh, that's for sure. But yeah, just, you know, just they, they, they expect something, uh, you know, based on the past, based on television, you know, based on whatever. But I, I just I wasn't able to give all of that. Uh, I just had to pretend a lot of the time. Yeah, the whole process of calling a pastor, at least in my experience, was was really unfair to both parties, mm -hmm. because during that interview process, you're basically it's your job to kind of convince them 
that you're the right person to turn the ship around. Yep. But then they put all those expectations on you to be the one who can turn the ship around. And the reality is no one person can do that. Nope. And there's a reason the church is in the shape that it's in. Yeah. But when you go in and you try to initiate change so often, there's so much resistance to that. And really, that's why the church is in the rut to begin with. Mm-hmm. Was that your experience as well? Exactly. Yeah. The interviews were fun. Um, you know, they a lot of times we would meet on a Sunday afternoon and they would have me preach and then they would take a vote. Um, and that was just I mean, it's like I don't know anybody. They don't know me. They're just basing this on whether or not the sermon's finished by noon or whatever. But um, a lot of times I didn't get selected for churches for various reasons. And I was kind of glad, actually. But uh, there were a couple that I got into that that uh, took a lot out of me, really. And my wife, too, took a lot out of her as well. Do you miss it? I miss the preaching, I think, and the the teaching part of it. I don't miss the politics and the hand-holding of, um, not, well, not hand-holding necessarily, but pandering to the, uh, to the people that pay the most money to the church, um, the politics and all that. I don't miss that at all. Absolutely not. Are there things that you wish you could go back and do differently? Honestly, I've, I've thought about revisiting my calling quite a bit and I've, I've done that in my, in my mind. Um, you know, was I even called to ministry to begin with? And I I do now believe that I was, but there was a a period of time where I was questioning whether or not I was even called to do this because I was, I just had such a hard time, especially in the later years, you know, because I've been overseas, I've seen poverty, unlike anything people can imagine. Uh, I've been, you know, you know, sat at, at gunpoint at border checks. And, um, I mean, when you, when you experience something like that and you come back to your church and they're, you know, they're concerned that you're wearing the same tie two Sundays in a row, you're just, you're just scratching your head. Like these people, they just don't get it. They don't understand what's going on in my head. They're not seeing what I'm seeing. And, um, and it's very frustrating. There's such a disconnect with that. Um, and that, you know, after a while, it just got, it got to the point where I just couldn't put on the mask anymore. The mask was broken even. And, um, when I left, I left for good that time. What was the worst thing that you endured when you were in, in your pastoring days? I think the, the absolute worst thing would be divorce. Uh, I did go through that, unfortunately, a long time ago, but, um, back at that particular time, uh, there was, you know, there were different expectations for that. There's not as much latitude. There wasn't as much latitude as there is today, um, with, with that little taboo, but, um, going through that and just kind of experiencing the rejection from, uh, other people and from the church and from the community. I was, a you know, I was a pastor in a good community. I was right across the street from where my kids went to school and I was over there. I'd go over there at least twice a week, reading books to their class, having lunch with them. I'd take them in the morning. I'd pick them up. We just had a great thing going. And I would speak at the PTO meetings. I'd give the devotional here and there. Um, and then all of a sudden, all of that was gone. It was just over. Um, and people were, you know, people were calling from the local Baptist association and uh, they were calling over there. I had some, some executive positions over there, volunteer, of course, but, um, you know, there were people that called over there and said, if Todd Vick doesn't resign right now, we're going to take all of our money and go. So I got the call that, you know, we need you to step down because people are just upset about what's going on. And it was just a really rough time. And it took quite a, quite a while to get over that, honestly. But, 
Uh, I mean, today it's fine, but I, I, I wish that hadn't happened like that, of course. but it made me who I am today. And um, I can't, wouldn't change that, I guess. What effect did pastoring have on your mental health? Ooh, probably, you know, the, the, the go-to for most people is when you, when you're dealing with personal issues, instead of deal with them, instead of feeling the feelings and, and, and just in, 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 in um, experiencing, I'm sorry, the problems, um, we, we try to avoid and we just put us, you know, push it down, push it down, avoid and stuff it down into our bellies and, and pretend it's not there. And after a period of time, you're just so miserable. You can't even stand yourself anymore. Uh, you, pastors become suicidal. Um, they, they leave their wives. They are addicted to things like pornography and gambling. Uh, it, it is just amazing the the mental toll that it can take on a guy. And I was no exception to that. Um, it, I mean, it really put me in a dark, dark, dark place of depression. Um, and I honestly didn't think I was going to get out of it. And there were a couple of times that I felt like, ending my life was the only reasonable thing to do. Um, and thankfully I did not do that, but, um, you know, it, when you get to that point, you realize there's something seriously, seriously wrong with, um, the ministry, if it is causing this much trouble. And, uh, I've looked up some recent statistics and, uh, like 23% of pastors acknowledge that they have struggled with a mental illness. Um, 49% of them say that they never speak to their congregation about their mental illness. Um, and then 65% of church going family members of those with mental illness want their church to talk openly about it, uh, but they won't. And that's, uh, and it's just a, um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an epidemic. I think mental health is just being ignored in the church because um, we just don't have time for it. We've got our lives. We've got to get to lunch. We've got to get out of here and, you know, go wherever, um, and we don't have time to really get in each other's business and get in each other's problems and, and, and walk through them together and feel the feelings that we're all feeling together. And, uh, I think once, once we get some of that back, uh, and Keith Giles and I were talking about this, uh, last week about community. Um, just, we, we just don't have that community in many of our churches today because one, for one, they're so big. Um, and that, that can be a problem. You have your small groups and that can be good. Uh, but the smaller congregations, you know, they're mostly uh, second and third generations of a family and they're all together all the time anyway. So there's really not an opportunity for outsiders to come in and be a, you know, be an intimate part of the group. So, yeah, there's just a lot of a um, lot of people just kind of miss out on the the fellowship and the koinonia and the, just the the interacting with people on a very intimate level. And I, I just think that's something that's got to come back into the church or it's just going to completely die at some point. But, yeah, the mental health uh, issue is 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 here to stay. I think it's um, I think we're starting to acknowledge it more. Uh, a lot of millennials are in therapy now, um, you know, young in their 20s, 30s. You know, they know that they've got stuff to deal with and they're dealing with it. Um, so I think we're you're probably going to see a shift in that over the next you know, 20, 50 years. Uh, hopefully I'll be around to see it, but probably not. But um, I, I just think the next generation is going to be more cognizant of the fact that, you know, people have mental illness and, and they need to be, they need to be ministered to in a, in a, in the way that they need it. They need people not to just 
listen and nod their heads and acknowledge, you know, I'm sorry, you're feeling bad. God bless you. Um, but, but to really get on their level and deal with them and let, and let them deal with you in a very personal way. And that just, uh, I think that's just, that's my soapbox for today, but, uh, I just think that's grossly missing in, in church. And I think pastors need that as well. And I was, I was part of a lot of different, you know, pastor support group kind of things where we get together and, uh, you know, we're supposed to get together and pray and fellowship and, and whatever. And what we'd end up doing is, you know, comparing churches. Um, how many of y'all have in Sunday school now, or how many, you know, how many in worship last week? And, uh, of course, my numbers were always pretty low. If we had, uh, if we filled an entire pew in one of my churches, that would have been something. Um, but, you know, in all these churches, they're doing better than mine. And, and, and it's just, it's frustrating because you, you try to put on the, the, the face again, the pastor face that, you know, Hey, my church is doing good. Yeah. We're doing really good. Um, and we're not, but, um, so that didn't help either. You know, the, 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 the idea was good to get pastors together and give them some support for each other, but it didn't work out that way. It was more of a, you know, comparison of, of ministries and, uh, what are you reading lately? And, oh, I read this and I met so-and-so and there's name dropping. And it just, I just never fit into stuff like that. Yeah, there's definitely um, the same dynamic is true in the ministerial associations that is true in the local church. It's not about intimacy. Mm-hmm. It's not about bearing one another's burdens. It's not about real world issues. It's about having spiritual answers to problems that are probably way too complicated for just a platitude. Mm-hmm. And um, it just feels like mental health is such a huge opportunity or a huge, it's hugely lacking in the local church right now. What can we do to address that better than we do in the United States right now in the church? That's a, that's an excellent question. And I've certainly been pondering that as well. Um, I think the solution is, is within the small group setting. Um, AA, they have small groups, they have support groups. People that are going through grief have support groups. Um, people that are in uh, mental institutions, they have group meetings and group therapy. Um, and, and they're, they're together and they're talking to each other and they're, they're relating to each other in a very personal and meaningful way. And when we get to church, you know, it's, it's like, Hey, how's your business? How's your family? Good to see you. We'll see you on Wednesday. Um, have a good lunch, whatever. There's just no, there's no intimacy. There's no, um, communication. There's no really getting into somebody's life and saying, you know, how are you? Oh, I'm struggling actually, to be honest, I'm struggling with some, some issues and, well, how can I help? What, let's sit down. Let's talk about it. What can we do? Um, of course, that that can be problematic too. Let's fix it. Let's you know. Let's f- come up with a solution and fix your problem right away. And we can't do that either. But um, but yeah, just uh, the biggest challenge is is getting people together in an intimate setting, in a safe setting, where people feel like they're it, it is safe for me to talk about my my crap because there's lots of it. Um, and you'd be surprised what comes out of people's lives. And, and, and I've been in group therapy myself and I probably felt more of the koinonia in group therapy than I ever felt in a congregational setting. And that to me, that was eye opening. Um, you know, I sat next to a, a, a fellow who was, um, uh, transgendered. He, uh, she, that became a he and was talking about the different issues that, 
that they're dealing with. And it's like, I had no idea it was that bad. I just had no idea. And we really don't until we sit down and talk to somebody, listen to them and not just listen, but hear them, hear what they're saying. And, um, it was just eye opening for me just to see what, what is missing in the church is going on outside of the church every week, sometimes uh, two or three times a week. But, um, we're just, we got to get there. We've got to figure that out. Well, and it feels like, you know, pastors, certainly myself included, we need to get better at saying, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't have the answer. Um, we can be very good listeners. And most pastors that I know are great listeners, but we need to make sure that folks understand that, you know, I'm not a doctor. Yeah. And while I will pray with you and listen to you and love you, no matter what you tell me, you you might be in a situation where you could use the help of a professional therapist exactly. or a psychologist or psychiatrist or medication. And it feels like the, the church culture that I came out of, uh, taking medication was seen as a sign of weakness. Mm-hmm. Did you experience that as I well? I did, absolutely. I remember when Jared Wilson, the pastor from California, who tragically took his own life just a few months ago, I remember seeing a video of him playing with his child the day before. And he, you know, he he obviously took so much joy from his his boys and from his wife. When he would look at them, he would just light up. And you and I know what that feels like to just light up in the presence of somebody that you truly love. Absolutely. But as soon as his eyes would leave those individuals, there would be this blankness, this numbness, this emptiness Mm -hmm. about his expression. And I remember seeing that and thinking, I know that feeling. I know what he now. Thank God I've never been tempted to uh, I've never been tempted to end my own life. I I don't think I would have even the courage to to do that. But I, I definitely know that feeling of desperation. And the thing is, I think most pastors that I have walked this journey with, they know that feeling too. Mm-hmm. There's this feeling, this feeling of despair and desperation when you are looked to as the one with answers, but you don't know what to do. But it's not safe to say that. Mm-hmm. When everybody's looking to you and your job and your livelihood and you're taking care of your family depend on you at least having the appearance of having it all together, there's not the freedom right. to take that mask off that you talked about earlier. Exactly. Uh, and it's devastating to the pastor, to the pastor's family, to the church, every church member and their families. There, there's such a facade about church and our culture. Uh, that koinonia that you're talking about, it's just not there. And honestly, I'm not sure that the Sunday morning gathering that we've developed, especially in the United States, the production, the show, I'm not sure that's conducive to koinonia at all. Yeah, there's no way, really. That's not something that happens from the front, you know? Right. All right, so the million-dollar question. Actually, we're going to make it a $10 million question. Yeah, I could use that. If somebody called you up and said, Todd, I read your book. It changed my life. I've got $10 million that I want to invest in a new church plant, and I want you to lead it. Would you do it? And if so, what would you do differently? Oh, my gosh. That's a good one. Uh, didn't see that coming. Um, <laughs> wow, I can't even fathom that something like that might might happen. I, but anyway, um, I probably would not 
Um, because I, I have just, I've gotten to the place in my life where I just cannot go back to that life. Um, even if it's a brand new start, uh, you know, new ministry, new startup, eventually, uh, it's going to become the same thing. And usually a lot quicker than we realize, uh, small churches, uh, have a lot of family support, you know, new starts have a lot of family support and it becomes all about the families in a very short time. And so, I mean, there's just no way to win with this particular scenario of uh, going to the building and standing up for the congregation. They sit and listen. The choir sits and listen. Uh, Sunday school, you sit and listen. The, the, the symbol of Christianity needs to be the chair instead of the cross, because that's pretty much what we do. We sit and listen. Um, but yeah, I, I just couldn't go back, not even for $10 million. My wife will probably get mad at me for saying so, but <laughs> well, I think I really do think that, that that was a very honest and heartfelt answer and, and, and the right answer in your situation. I mean, I cannot imagine going back to that because, you know, with every one of those $10 million, there's pressure to perform. Mm-hmm. Now, the me 20 years ago, you betcha. I'd have been mm-hmm. all over that. <laughs> I think five years ago, I would have jumped all over that. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe even one year ago, just to be brutally honest, yeah, yeah. you know? But I can't imagine today going back. I just can't. Uh, plus, I, I really think, don't you feel like middle-aged white men have had their time? I do. Um, and we were, I was talking about this with somebody else the other day online. You know, we, we've had some very colorful candidates in the, in the recent, um, you know, in the Democratic side for the presidential election. And a lot of them have dropped out now. So we're stuck with, you know, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. There's, I think, one more young lady. Uh, and I can't think of her name off the top of my head. I miss Tulsi. Gabbard. Thank you. Um, I know it started with a T. But she's cool. I've seen her commercials and, and, and I like her a lot. But basically, it's going to come down to um, Trump, Biden, Sanders. And they're all old white men. And so, you know, here we go again. Four more years of this. Um, and it's just, you know, it's it has not worked for us for a long, long time. And I don't think it has to do with the color as much as the attitude uh, that goes with it. Um, the superiority at times. Um, and, and we're just going to, we're going to have to sit through that again. And of course, the, you know, there's no president that can come in and, and change our situation, uh, even in two terms. Um, president Obama, I think tried to do a, a great many things, um, but just didn't have the, the support. And it just wasn't the right time probably for some of those things. Uh, but I think he, I think he really meant well. And I think, uh, it's possible that, you know, President Trump means well at, too. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think we've had our chance and, and, you know, it's time for some, some color in the ministry and, uh, women in ministry is a big thing for me too. I'm, I'm just very pleased to see that, uh, women are not waiting for permission any longer to become ministers. They're not going to rallies and supporting each other. Maybe they are, and I'm just missing that, but um, they're stepping up and they're just, they're doing it. They're, they're becoming pastors. And if we don't like it, that's just too bad. We're going to be pastors. Um, and so there's, there's just, a, it, it's really shifting. The tide is, is turning on a lot of these things. And it's an, if you think about it, it is an amazing time to be alive uh, in, in human history right now, uh, because there's, there's, there's such a big, I believe just such a big correction coming in the very new, near future. And I think the millennials are going to be leading the way on that. And a lot of the things that we're talking about now 
we're going to actually see them come to fruition at some future point in the next generation. Um, but it's really exciting to, to be a part of this right now that there are so many people that are questioning everything that we've been doing for the last, you know, 2000 years or more. And now we're, we're relooking at scripture. We're relooking at, at religion. We're relooking at theology. We're asking the questions that need to be asked and, and, there may not be answers immediately, but we're asking the questions and that's where it begins. And a lot of people are afraid to ask the questions because the white guys will tell you, uh, you know, don't ask questions like that because it's going to demonstrate a lack of faith or, or be careful because you don't want to go against what the Bible says. And, and uh, God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And you just got to trust him. And, and there's merit to, to that, uh, some of that, but, um, that's kind of where where the questions would like in the '80s when I was coming up in the church, uh, we didn't ask questions; we just listened. Um, and if we asked questions, you know, we were taken aside later and talked to about, you know, it's not it's not good for you to ask questions like that because you know it's going to cause somebody to stumble. That was what I was told because I asked the questions and I got in trouble a lot. But um, but yeah, it, it I, I think. To answer the question again, I think that, yeah, the white guys, we've had our chance. We've right. we've tried it. Um, and now we've got uh, we've got to see some new things happen. Yeah, I'm like you, though. I miss preaching. I enjoy preaching. I got to preach this past Sunday and really enjoy that opportunity. But as soon as they started talking to me about, you know, coming back and doing it again, you know, I mean, at one point they said next week, you know, <laughs> but I just I don't feel like that's that's where I need to be right now. I really do think that I've, I've said most of what I have to say. And one of the ways that I can best serve and be faithful right now is by showing up to support the women and the people of color and the LGBT community Mm -hmm. and, and hear their voices and, and follow their lead. And so I'm, I mean, I know man, five years ago, I couldn't have even thought along that wavelength. Right. But things have changed. You know, I I really do feel like, you know, most of the mess that we deal with is a middle aged white guy mess. You know, exactly. Yeah, I think so. And so I'm excited about, like you said, the millennials and where where they're going to take us. Uh, I know that you're friends with Cody and Elaine Johnston and the Reckless Pursuit podcast. Folks like that really excite me about the future of the church. Yeah, me too. Those two, especially. Uh, I've just got so much respect for them and what they're doing. Um, they're they're and the way that they're bringing it is is just is so powerful. They're you know they're not getting in your face and telling you this is what you need to do. They're allowing you to ask questions. They're trying to answer the questions, uh, and they they do it in such a sweet way. They really do. They're precious people, and there's so many others like them. You know that are willing to go a different road, and and they're just not willing to wear the mask mm-hmm. at all. Right. And that is so refreshing is. in the season of life that I'm in. And I'm so excited about that. So God bless them. I'm excited for what they're doing. Uh, talk to me about your book. I just mentioned a little while ago that it was one of my favorite books of the last year. Um, are you happy with the audience that your book has found so far? So far, yeah. Um, probably the the best thing that, that I hear um, that I wish I could hear more of is, you know, I read the book and it really gave me some stuff to think about. Uh, because that was that was all it was that was the goal of the book. Uh, it was not to give you answers, but it was to ask questions and make you think about the answers that you've had for a long time. 
I didn't realize at the time that what I was talking about was deconstruction. I just called it the renewing of your mind. And I guess you can call it that as well. But, you know, basically we're, we're taking apart, you know, the old things and, and looking at things in a different way from a different angle and asking some questions. And I, I certainly didn't give any answers really in the book, uh, just a lot more questions and a lot of conversation. And if, if um, people say, you know, it really gave me a lot to think about, then that makes me very happy. Well, it was one of those books that it, it doesn't tell you what to think. It kind of helps you learn to think for yourself. Yeah, that too. That, that was and another big thing. That's so good. And man, we need that now more than ever. Yeah, I think. we've got these. Uh, so thank you for yeah, your we've book. got these wonderful brains that God made for us, uh, and we don't know how to really use them to their full potential. And I, I think that's that's something that I'm reaching for. And I thought I would just you know put some stuff out there. Maybe somebody else is thinking that way too. And um, you know we can share our stories and, and come together and try to get more people to try to think for themselves and and do their own research and get their own answers and know that that's okay. Uh, because the answers that you find to the questions that you have will probably not be the same answers to the questions that I have. Uh, but, but we're both getting what we need and that's going to make us happier and, and, and more relaxed with ourselves. And that's going to, you know, cause us to be relating better with each other. And I think, I think our country right now and maybe the world too is just so driven by things like fear and despair. There's a lot of despair, and I hear that on the phone a lot in my job and as a, as a customer service rep in an insurance company uh, and tell people that their claims have been denied. There's just so much despair coming from their voices and their stories. Um, and it's just, it's real. you know, people say it's tough out there, but it really is tough out there. And a lot of people are struggling, um, you know, and we're talking about the election. We're not talking about, you know, how do we help these people who are struggling you know, we're standing around talking about who's the better candidate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I was think I was going somewhere with that. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. But yeah, that was that was the whole point of the book was to get us to use our brains uh, to think for ourselves, find our own answers, do our own research. And I used to tell my congregations, you know, don't take my word for it. Look this stuff up and 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 see what what you find. Um, of course, they never did, but uh, to my knowledge, but. Um, you know, that's kind of always been my thing. I try to think for myself. I try to find my answers. Uh, if you flip the light switch on, the light comes on. Most people are cool with that. Uh, I want to know what happens from the switch uh, up the wall through the ceiling that makes the light come on. I want to know what that's all about. And that's just kind of brain that I have. And I pr that's probably why I don't fit in well. But <laughs> but um, but it's it's fun being me sometimes. <laughs> well, I enjoy you. That's for sure. Hey, uh, what have you learned about renewing your mind or that deconstruction journey since the book was published? What do you wish you could go back and put in the book? Honestly, I, I don't know that I would add anything to that. It was it was what it needed to be. Uh, I'm working on a second book right now that deals more with the actual reconstruction specifics and uh, it deals with things like perception and reality, uh, which most people think that what we perceive to be true is is reality. You know, people thought the world was flat. People thought the earth was the center of the universe. And once scientists figured out that that was not the case, they gave us new and better information. So we changed our perspective and our reality changed and we got better answers. And, and um, so that, you know, that deals a lot with that in the book so far. And then, um, of course, uh, the, the first book was like a memoir in many ways 
of some of my ministry stories and personal stories. And there'll probably be some more of that in the, in the second book. Uh, probably not as much, but, um, definitely some personal stories that I think uh, will relate to some of the reconstruction, the deconstruction stuff, but it's, it's just really exciting to be a part of, of this right now that that's happening all around me. Um, and I'm just glad to be a part of it. I really am just grateful to have friends like you and, and to know people like you and to come and sit and talk with you about this stuff, because it just, it does me so much good because I honestly, where I'm at, there's nobody that I can talk to like this. Um, and, and that can be frustrating sometimes, but, you know, thank God for the internet and for the, you know, for that, we can, we can connect together, uh, and, and do this and, and share our stories and share our books and our podcasts and help other people with that. And I, I'm just, I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. And I, I've watched your podcast, even from the first time I was on last June, uh, just watched your podcast blossom. Uh, and you've had some incredible guests on there, Paul Young and Brad Jerzak and, and so many others, um, that just brings some really good stuff. And I hope, uh, I hope that more people will listen to these podcasts. I try to fit them all in and I'm just always behind on my podcast. But, um, when I do get to sit and listen for a while, it's, it's just amazing. No, you mentioned to me offline before we started recording. Uh, actually, I think it was probably even a Facebook message when you and I were talking that inter- intimacy has been on your heart a lot lately. What does intimacy mean to you and why do you think it's so lacking in the church today? Yeah. Intimacy is, um, you know, the, there's a, uh, I'm not sure what the word is, but it, it, if you break it down, it says into me, see, um, and that, and we're just not doing that. We're not, we're not getting intimate with people. We're, we're keeping everybody at arm's length. We have, uh, email, we have call waiting, we have uh, texting, we have privacy fences, um, McDonald's in New York. There's hardly any employees in there. It's all um, technical and you just push the buttons and the Whoppers come out or the Big Macs come out. And and we're just, we're losing the ability to connect with human beings and we're losing the ability to be intimate. And intimacy is not sexual always. There is a, a facet of that that's, that's uh, a part of being intimate. But generally speaking, just getting to know people and knowing their stories and, and not just listening, but hearing them and, and, and really um, finding yourself empathizing with them in a way that you just never thought was possible. And then, you know, and then when you speak and they hear, and it's the same thing and it just goes back and forth. And uh, suddenly we know each other really well. And when we get together every time we, we just, we know uh, there's things that, that we don't have to say because we know, we know each other, we're intimate, we're, we're close and I, th- I just feel like that's lacking so much. And uh, especially in the church, uh, which, you know, it's probably everywhere, but the church is where I'm from. Um, and that's my background. That's probably all I can really talk about with with any kind of intelligence. But, you know, being in the pulpit, uh, I always felt kind of safe behind the pulpit. I don't know about you, if you ever experienced that, but I pretty much stayed behind the podium wherever I was because it, it kind of kept me from connecting with people. It, it, does that make sense? Absolutely. It's a wall. It's a barrier between yeah, you and, and for the people. a long time. I didn't realize that, you know, I thought, you know, here's the sacred desk. I'm an, it's honored, you know, it's an honor to stand here, but really it was a crutch, uh, to keep me separate from the congregation, from getting to know them, from letting them get to know me, um, just give them their sermon, let them go. If they need me, they can call me. Uh, and for so many years, you know, that just is how it was and, and probably how it still is in a lot of places today. But, 
you know, there's just, there's not really opportunities to really get to know people. And when you do get to know somebody, then you realize I am, I have been missing this in my life. Um, like I mentioned group therapy earlier, a few years ago when I was in, um, I, I had to, um, be treated for my severe anxiety and depression that's, that's followed me my whole life pretty much. But being, being in a group of people, a group of practically strangers, and you can see their faces, they've got the wall built up. They're not going to get intimate. They're not going to get into this discussion. They're just going to sit there and, and be by themselves. And then, you know, after a day or two, maybe even a week, you see them starting to change, starting to open up more and they're telling you more about themselves and, and you're telling them about yourself and they're telling you about them, th themselves. And, and you, you find that you have more in common than you ever realized you could have in common with a group of strangers. And, and there was such a, a wonderful connection. And I was so distraught about the fact that I've never had that before in church. I've had good friends in church and I've had, you know, people that I was closer to than most in the church but eventually, you know, it just became, uh, it, it became empty. It just, it didn't last because, because I just don't believe because there was, there was enough intimacy. We were friends, but we were friends with masks on um, because we were, you know, we're both afraid to let our guard down and be who we are for fear that the other person might tell the church about us. Um, and there's just so many things going on that, that really need to change uh, as far as the, as in regards to the way that we fellowship in the church. We think of fellowship, we think of um, potato salad, fried chicken on the grounds, whatever. Um, and there's some, there's no, nothing inherently evil with that other than the gluttony part. <laughs> but um, it just, uh, it's, it's not enough. There, there, you know, we, we've got to tell each other what's going on in our lives and what we're feeling and, and, and what we're struggling with. And, and, you know, when you, when you do that, when you release those things from your life, you realize you know, the other person comes along and says, you know what, I've got the same problem. And I've never told anybody this before. Um, I was um, in chapel in Bible college and there was this particular message uh, that was delivered one, one, I think it was a Wednesday. Uh, and it just really got to me. And it, it was just, it was so powerful that I was the first one to the altar when, when they gave the altar call. Uh, and I stayed there even after the, the service was over. I was just, you know, sitting there on the steps, weeping my eyes out. And one of my friends came along, one of my classmates rather came along and, and you know, said, Hey, what's going on? Is, you know, is there anything I can do? And, and I just said, I, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't be a fake anymore. Um, I can't live this way anymore. And, and, and he said, man, I struggle with that too. I, I, I thought I was the only one. And so with this, you know, up to that point, kind of a stranger, you know, we found out that we had a connection and something in common and we were able to build on that. And today we're pretty good friends, uh, even across the miles. But, uh, yeah, I just, I wish, I wish we would see more of that in the, in the, in the church, more of that, letting our guard down, um, putting away our fears, our anxieties about being ourselves, uh, in front of other people and letting them be their selves in front of us. Um, and I think we're, we're getting there. We're starting to see um, more things being accepted in, in the church now than, than it was when I was coming up. Um, like divorce, I mentioned that earlier, you know, in the, in the 80s, you say divorce and it was just you had to leave the church because nobody was helping you. Nobody was 
associating with you because they didn't want to be guilty by association um, and tarnish their reputation in the church. And, and so, so many, you know, so many people have been destroyed, their lives ruined. Uh, even, you know, me as a pastor, I can't tell you the number of times that, you know, couples would come to me asking me to marry them and they were living together. And I said, well, you know, if you guys weren't living together, I would be happy to do this for you. But since you're living together, I really can on good conscience uh, do this wedding for you. And I'm very sorry. Um, and if I could go back and do that differently, I would I would do that all over again. But um, there's, yeah, I, I, I keep going off on these rabbit trails, but there's just so much. No, that's good. I you, You're raising an interesting point. You know, I, I was thinking just the other day about how different the mindset that Jesus operated out of was than the mindset we operate out of so often in Indeed. church life. Um, you know, Jesus there with the woman at the well, right? I mean, he, he was Jewish. She was a Samaritan. They shouldn't have been having a conversation. A man and a woman certainly shouldn't have been having a conversation in that right. culture, uh, especially alone. Then the disciples show up and, you know, they're expecting him to send her away and, and, you know, go about his business, but he's got time for her. He's present. He knows exactly what she's struggling with in life. But nowhere in that do- story does he point a finger over the five husbands and the one she's living with then wasn't right. her husband. But not only does he not point a finger at her, he gives her an evangelism ministry. You know, back when I was pastoring, I would have been, well, you know, you're going to have to have a couple of years of proven sexual purity Mm -hmm. and get your act together. And this is a discipleship program that I will personally oversee to make sure you're on the right path. You know, well, actually, none of that would ever happen because she was a woman. Mm -hmm. And so she just wouldn't have been allowed to have a ministry back in the most of the churches that I served. Uh, But, man, Jesus is not. I'm so grateful that Jesus isn't like I Mm -hmm. was. Yeah, same here. He's so much better. It's it's amazing. Um, He's so much better, especially the resurrection. Um, you know, there were were women that you know shared the first news of the resurrection, and people don't like to talk about that. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the story closely, the men came to the tomb. They stuck their head in there. They saw the folded garments, and they're like, "Okay, what happened? Where's Jesus? Um, what what have y'all done with him? Where is he?" And the women looked in there, and they saw a resurrection. And they went and told about it. Men saw laundry. Women saw resurrection. Um, I mean, and, and this is just, this is what we're, we're dealing with now. We're starting to see this stuff. And people like um, uh, Sarah Bessie and Jen Hatmaker and uh, the late Rachel Held Evans and uh, Daniel, King, Daniel Kingstrom and um, Michelle Snyder and so many ladies are, are stepping up. Elaine Johnston definitely, um, you know, are stepping up and, and ministering to people as women, um, not as a, you know, something else pretending to be something else, but as women, uh, as who they are and they're, they're, they're ministering to people. And it's just phenomenal to see the, the difference in how they do it versus how we've done it for so long. Um, and it's just really exciting to me. I, I just love it. Love seeing it. Yeah, me too. So you mentioned a book that's coming up, uh, it's along the lines of reconstruction. Is that what it's going to be called the reconstructing of your mind? And I think there's going to be three books in that little series. I'm not sure what the third one's going to be yet, but um, first one was renewing. Second one will be rest- uh, reconstructing and uh, just going to take a long look at, you know, the beliefs that we hold so dear intimacy will be one of the things that I deal with. Um, I think I'm going to try to deal with um, 
some other issues that, you know, not the common stuff like theology and this and that and the other, but, but everyday stuff that everyday people deal with, uh, like intimacy and lust and things like that. And what do we do with these things? How do we incorporate these things into our lives so that they're not destroying us? Um, and, and uh, hopefully that will help somebody. Well, I'm sure it will. Have you got a time frame for that book? I'm hoping to have it finished, the writing part of it at least, by by the end of the month. And then the painstaking process of editing. And then there's the process of waiting for Ralph at Choir Publishing to uh, have a slot open for me to publish. But um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to being with Choir this time around. Uh, I wish that I could. Yeah, I'm so excited that that happened for you. I, I love them so much. And they, uh, Ralph and Keith and Matt and Jamal and, you know, all those folks, um, Matt Cortman, all these folks are the authors. Uh, Michelle Collins is writing a book with them. So many folks that they've gathered together are just such important voices for the world to hear right now in this moment. And you're definitely one of them. Carl Forehand yeah, is one awesome. of them. Uh, and I'm just excited about you guys and, and that choir is making a real a stand where they're standing to get those voices heard and give you the opportunity to publish, you know, beyond just your local sphere. Definitely. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to your book as well. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that, man. We're I'm waiting and it. waiting and waiting. <laughs> I know. I hear that all the time. It's it, we're almost there, brother. We're almost there. You and I are going to be competing for a, a slot in the calendar. At I'll Choir, give you my think, slot. So. You go right. <laughs> no, no, no. I'd, I'd rather read yours than mine. I've read mine. It's, it's good, but yours would be better. Um, Listen, uh, I know that you mentioned the book. What else is coming up for you? I, I know at one point you were dabbling with the idea of a podcast. Are you still thinking about that? I am. Um, right now, the the struggle with that is what do I bring to the podcast world that somebody else isn't already bringing? Um, and so that's kind of what I'm dealing with now, plus the fact that I have very primitive equipment that I'm working with. Um, got to get some new stuff uh, down the road. But yeah, I, I think it's something that I'll do, uh, maybe not for a little bit, but I, I, I really feel strongly that that I want to join that community. Uh, but right now, I just don't know how to approach it. I don't know what to bring uh, that's, that somebody else isn't already doing way better. Right. Yeah, I understand. That was a struggle for me as well. And, you know, there are so many, like Seth Price, he's just an incredible mm -hmm. podcaster. Glenn Seifert, The Heretic Happy Hour, uh, Jonathan Martin. So many of these folks that are doing it and doing it so well, you just wonder, well, is is anything that, that I say going to even exist in right. that universe, right. you know? But, man, I've been shocked since we launched this like six months ago. Uh, there are folks who aren't listening to those who are looking for what mm -hmm. is within you. You know, and uh, there's also a whole lot of folks that just listen to every single podcast that they can get their ears on. And so uh, there's definitely room for you, man. So dive in when you can. Uh, I do love Carl's idea. I have to say, you know, Carl and I and Keith and Kyle Butler and Cody and Elaine and some others uh, are doing these monthly uh, video conference broadcasts called Too Many Podcasters. Carl had mentioned one that would involve you called too many ex pastors, yeah. <laughs> uh, man, if that idea can live, I want to see I, that. I definitely, yeah. That I would, would be love awesome. to be a part of that. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. We, we would have a good time. Carl, with that, you know, sure. once Carl lets his hair down, he's, he's a fascinating guy. 
He's a little shy at first, but once he once he lets his hair down with you, he's got just nothing but wisdom to share. And I, I, he came up and visited me. Uh, he was in my state for a job and um, came up to Columbia to visit. We had some coffee together, and uh, it was just one of the greatest meetings that I've had this year, face to face with somebody. Uh, and it was just so thrilling to be able to do that because he lives so far away, and we live so far away. And those rare occasions that we can get together one-on-one, uh, I just love those. That Those moments are great. And I met uh, I met Jay and Allie Noble, too, uh, two very special people that, that are a part of our community on Facebook. Uh, and, you know, he was in Columbia in the Army doing at Fort Jackson, and his family came up, and they invited my wife and I to, to, to go out to dinner with them. And we just had the best time uh, visiting and sharing and t- listening to their stories and these people are people are just so interesting if you take the time to get to know them. They really are. Yeah, Jay and Allie are such special people too. Man, they're just incredible. And they they came all the way from Tampa. Man, folks are coming from all over the world to see you. <laughs> they are. It's great. That's good. God knows what we need and when That's we need exactly it. Exactly right. What's the best way for our friends listening today to engage with you and your work online? Right now, just uh I think Facebook is the best way. Um Todd Vick on Facebook. Uh, I'm working on a website. I had it up for a little while and then, um, had some issues with the, um, person that I paid to do the, you know, for, to host it, uh, do the platform. Um, and so I've had to start over. And so hopefully in a week or so, there'll be another Todd website, um, with some of the same shenanigans as the other one. Awesome. Uh, friends, we're going to have a link to his book, The Renewing of Your Mind. We'll have a link to that in the show notes, as well as a link to his Facebook. And once the uh, ToddRVic.net is back up, we'll let you know that as well. Todd, thanks so much for being with me this evening. Love you, I man. Love you, thanks brother. so much for having me. It's just so nice to talk with you. <laughs>